Hello, Raptors fans. It's Ben here. As usual, I've got Aaron and Gavin with me. Just when we thought it was clear that the Raptors had decided to tank, they brought their starters back this week and went on a little bit of a win streak. So all of a sudden, we're not sure. Are we fighting for the play-ins? What's going on? We're going to break all of that down and do a little bit of award season preview and have lots of fun discussion and debate on this week's episode of the Raptors Review. Let's dive in. Raptors fans, we're back at you guys with another episode, and this week the Raptors played the Oklahoma City Thunder on Sunday, and they won that game 112 to 106. Devastating win for the Raptors in the, the the tank race. And on Wednesday, after a few days off, the Raptors beat surprisingly the Brooklyn Nets. The Raptors played pretty much their starting lineup for the first time in a really long time this game, and. The Nets were without KD and James Harden for that one. And then on Saturday, the Raptors lost a one o'clock game to the New York Knicks, 103 to 120. That game was much closer than the final score. So I'm curious to get your guys' reactions for these games. But first, the Raptors are now 25 and 35 with an offensive rating of 112 and a defensive rating of 111. Uh, so the, they have a slightly positive net rating. They're one and a half games behind the Washington Wizards for the 10 seed. And if we're looking the other direction, they're a half game ahead of the Sacramento Kings for to get, getting the seventh worst record. And this is significant because the odds of getting a top four pick, which is sort of where you can move up in the lottery, go up from 23% to 32% between the eight and seven seeds. So sort of losing games now is super crucial for your lottery odds. So what do we think about the games this week, guys? I I can't even talk about the games. I'm so upset about what the Raptors are doing right now. This is the maddest I've been. Well, most dis- I'm not mad because I, I can't get mad at, you know, Bobby Webster and Masai, but I'm just disappointed um, just in how the Raptors have been playing and what they've been doing. Looking at this game, like last week, I was so hopeful we could get a top four pick and then we had to go and blow it over the past two weeks and just win a bunch of games unnecessarily and it's just so depressing that we're not going to be good enough to make it into the play-in and we're not going to be bad enough to actually get a good pick we're just perfectly in the middle of terribleness and even if we make the 10th seed like what does that do for us nothing it gives us maybe one maybe two good games of viewing and we see what happens i don't know i i'm just so it's hard to even watch the Raptors knowing that there's only 12 games left in the season. And no matter what we do, we're not really going to move up or move down. And it's just frustrating. Like they could move a couple spaces, maybe. I don't know. Gavin, I told you this would happen last week. If we remember our predictions, one of us predicted a two in one week. Who was that? Was that me? I think that was me. I knew this was going to happen. We're stuck. Yeah, we're stuck in no man's land. I think the Raptors thought after they won the OKC game, they tried to tank that game really hard, but Chris Boucher's heroics down the stretch let them pull that one out. Then they're like, oh, you know what? We're actually close to the play-ins. We can go for it. And then they started playing their starters again. But it's just so unlikely that we get anywhere. And our schedule down the stretch is ridiculously hard. But before we dive into that, maybe we should just jump into the games here. Okay, fine. We'll get to the games. First game here, they played against the Oklahoma City Thunder. Guys, what were your takeaways? They got out-tanked. The OKC, they're so much better at tanking. Like Once they, they sat everyone this game, it was basically Dort and no one against the Raptors. And the Raptors guys are obviously all trying really hard, so... You know, they got out tanked. How can you beat OKC in a losing competition when their starting small forward is going to go 0 of 8 from 3? Pokashevsky <laughs> is a machine. Like, <laughs> he'll just keep shooting. It doesn't matter. Yeah, I love his confidence. He's but, a great tank uh, commander. He's amazing for their tank commandingness. And Lugans Dort had an amazing like first quarter, and then after that didn't do extremely like that much. You know what I mean? So. It was uh, after that, I was so depressed to watch him just tank away the last three quarters. 
the Raptors just have too many good players. Like you we can't play lines. We knew that that was going to be a tough game to lose. Like just the way the Raptors play, like they're they're always going to beat the teams that are trying to lose harder. So yeah, because we have to remember all these Raptors players that they're playing are guys that are fighting for their next contract and trying really really hard. And then you have people like Poku who's just experimenting with basketball and <laughs> trying new things testing yeah. his limits he's such a preternatural athlete that like he knows he doesn't even need to like put up good numbers like the potential's enough that they're going to keep him around no matter what happens so they're just giving him the ball and letting him run okay next game we have here is the brooklyn nets another raptors win <sighs> this one was tough to watch because this was a losable game yeah, the Nets played really well in the first half. They were getting tons of open looks on offense. They were knocking down their threes. And then the second half, the Raptors just came out and sort of blew them out. Like they they played super hard on defense. Like OG was being really disruptive. And then the Raptors were also hitting lots of shots on offense. It was like, well, the Raptors actually look kind of good here. And it was really, I don't know. I, I wish, like this is a game that if they wanted to tank, that they could have lost, but instead they, they played at their good guys and they played well and they won. Yeah. Just playing all your starters, like 35 minutes a game is gonna, the Raptors are not that bad of a team. Like, I think we have to remember that it's, it's hard for us to tank when we have our players healthy. And after the weeks of rest, I guess, I don't know if there was maybe some mandate from the league. that's like, Hey, you can't just rest all these guys. I find that pretty unlikely, but the, the organization made the decision to stop tanking here in this game. And that was a questionable decision. Um, I don't know. Like the Raptors are a good team when they play all their starters. The promising thing from this game is that you see how Ken Birch in the starting lineup can kind of change the team to some extent, just having an athletic body that can move. I know we've talked a lot about some of the positives from Ken Birch the past few weeks, but this is one of the perfect games where you see that five-man lineup that would be probably the starters. Maybe Gary Trent Jr. cracks that lineup at some point, but uh, it's pretty exciting thinking forward that this could be a solid team moving into next year. If they can add another piece to that lineup in offseason, maybe you have a, you know, a top four seat again. But uh, yeah, Ken Birch looked good as a starter and uh, Freddie Gillespie also looked pretty solid in this game as well. He had five um, blocks. It was really blocks. impressive. Yep, yeah, absolutely. Great man protection. Just really big effort, trying his heart out and he'll have to at his size. So yeah, that's all I thought about this game. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Ken Birch has, has been as advertised. He's definitely the best center the Raptors have been playing all season. And I think that includes Chris Boucher as well. Like defensively, he's versatile, he's mobile. He's a deterrent at the rim and he's strong and kind of rebound. Okay. Like he's, he's sort of exactly the guy the Raptors needed this off season and not at the end of the trade deadline. Chris Boucher is a strange player. You know, he puts up such amazing numbers and like shoots pretty efficiently from around the floor, but somehow I still feel safer with Ken Birch in the starting lineup as center. For sure. And, he can, he can do pick and roll like Chris Boucher can't. All he can do is pick and pop. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and Ken Birch, also his passing, I've been impressed with his passing where he comes off the roll, and if there's someone at the rim, he's instantly looking to dish it to one of the corners for a corner three, and like Boucher, as soon as he touches the ball, he's shooting, and he, you know that. Um, so yeah, Ken Birch is a bit more versatile as a role player. Okay, so after that game, I was like, okay, fine, I guess we're in this play-in thing, this is what's going to happen, we played all our starters, let's... Go for it. And you know what? The Knicks are a team I think we should beat if that's what we're trying to do. But of course, we did not. Julius Randle came out and smacked the Toronto Raptors. What did you guys take away from that game? I, I thought the Knicks were pretty lucky in this game. Like they just, they shot really well. They shot over 50% from three. Julius Randle and RJ Barrett were both five of seven from three. Like, I don't know. When I watched Julius Randle, it seems to me like every shot he takes is horrible, but like half of them go in and it's just like, I don't know. It just seems so, so like so much of an aberration. I think their offense is horrible. Their defense is definitely not the best in league, even though they have those stats. Like, I, I don't know. I think they're an absolute paper tiger and they're going to get whipped in the first round for whoever they play. I think in terms of talent, you're right, Aaron. I don't think anyone is actually scared of them. But the the level that they're playing at right now is pretty impressive. They've 
won nine games in a row and Julius Randle is cooking this shooting he's been shooting well all season like he's taken such a huge jump in his shooting that I think he's probably the favorite for the most improved player this year and like a legit all NBA level player and their defense is really really good and I I do agree that I think watching this game for most of it I thought the Raptors were the better team but then our fourth quarter woes continued um, and our bench gave us nothing in this game. Gary Trent had a bad game. He hasn't looked particularly good when he's coming off the bench and Nick Nurse's rotations as well. Like in this game, he played his starters so many minutes and the bench guys, it kind of feels like they just don't have time to settle into the game. Um, and I mean, like they're not very good anyways, but it's, they're not all, they're also not getting the opportunity to really get comfortable. So I don't know. I didn't, I didn't love the rotation in this game because it's like, do we really want to be playing Lowry and Fred Van Vliet 38, 39 minutes every game? Like, I think we need to keep them in the low thirties, even when they are starting our games. Like I didn't, I didn't love it. It's an interesting game to look at from the box score. Like, Fred Van Vliet, Pascal Siakam, OJ Anobi all had incredibly efficient nights from three. They all shot over 50% from three. And Fred and OG also shot, you know, over 50% from two. And both were subtle minuses. Siakam was a little rougher from two. But when you look at Kyle Lowry, 0 of 8 from three, that's tough to swallow, even with the seven, the nine assists that he gave us. When we're looking at this box or two, there's one big plus on the Raptors. That's uh, Kem Birch. He's the only plus, and he's a plus 15. Um, I don't know. why. Did you, was there anything you guys saw watching the game that made like that plus score jump out to you? Like What, what happened there that made that? I think that plus minus is more of a reflection of the bench guys getting killed when they would put in their, like, their bench guys are minus, like Gary Trent was minus 33 in this game in 18 minutes. Mm-hmm. And then Yuda and Freddie Gillespie were minus 22 and minus 24, respectively. Like, our bench lineups got slaughtered, and there was a stretch from the third quarter to the beginning of the fourth where the game had been tight up at that point, and then the Knicks got, I think, up to like close to a 15-point lead at one point before yeah. the Raptors closed it within 10 and then Siakam had a couple brutal passes that led to turnovers that kind of just killed any momentum the Raptors had but yeah I don't think like Kemberch himself was anything special this game but it's more just a reflection of how poorly everyone else played on the bench yeah and the Raptors were really trying to win this game if you look at the minutes totals of their key players it's higher than the New York Knicks minute total of their key players. And that's Tom Thibodeau they're playing against, the minutes man. So, I mean, it's obvious the Raptors really wanted this win. They played Siakam 40 minutes, Fred 40 minutes, um, and they still came up short. And that's what made me just <laughs> in the saddest way after this game yesterday afternoon it seems just like the Raptors are treading water in mediocrity right now. And if the management is really choosing, okay, now we're going to tank. Now we're not going to tank because we won four games. Now we're going to tank. Like You can't make these emotional swing decisions. And I doubt that that's what's going on. But it really seems that way when you look at who's playing which games and the minute totals. And it's just a recipe for disaster for this team because we need an injection of talent if we're going to get back to the title contention window. And we're not going to get that by being any seed, you know, four through 10. That's just not going to be the case. So, Devin, can I can I give you the the sort of the positive spin on this? Is try, that, please. I, I, I don't even know how I'm going to watch the Raptors this week. Going forward, the Raptors or this week, the Raptors had like three days off and then two days off between their games. The league was going to get them in trouble if they like fully rested their their team and they're just like blatantly tanking like they would get in trouble for that because i think the league you know wants the wants the raptors to be competing more so than other teams like they already got fined for the way they disclosed some of their injury stuff right so i think playing your starters heavy minutes now sets you up to rest them going forward they're In the next uh, three weeks, the Raptors play four games each week. So they have lots of back-to-backs, lots of four games and five nights, four games and six nights, lots of stretches like that. And this is going to enable the Raptors, who are now going against probably one of the toughest remaining schedules, 
to rest their players and secure the losses going forward. So I think this is sort of like, hey, yeah, league, like, oh, we're not tanking, we're not tanking. And it's just like a game or two to, to throw the league off the scent when <laughs> they're when they're really like going for the tank. But the, the thing is also is like the top, the bottom four seats that was completely out of reach already. Right. Like the, those are unattainable. Realistically, the Raptors could get to seven, maybe six if one of the teams below them. Well, now that we've won four games, we're not getting to the five or the six. Right, but some of these games... We lose to OKC, we could easily get to the five. Right, but that that game is just unlosable, right? Like OKC's bench and whatnot, like they're they're playing guys that are realistically like G League players, right? The Raptors are playing guys on their bench that are NBA players and are fighting for their NBA lives, right? The, The Thunder are playing guys that like they really don't care if they win. So... I don't know. It's just different. Like they, they can't like, they can't lose that game. And the Raptors have one game like that going forward, like against the Cavs tomorrow night. And that like, that's it. Every game after that, they can very easily tank and lose on purpose. Like if the Raptors go one and 11 to finish the season, I wouldn't be surprised. And I think that would put them, give them about the best odds that they could hope for in the lottery. So one and 11 would be an outstanding record from here on out. Like that would be amazing. I just think it's hard to lose that many games back like over and over and over and over there. And losing one or two of these games in this stretch of four wins that we had would have been really nice. And just looking at the numbers here, like it's going to be hard to, we can probably get by Chicago and Sacramento. We're tied with record with Chicago and we're one game up on Sacramento Kings, but to get to Cleveland, that is four wins below us. It's unattainable. It's going to be challenging. Like they're going to have to actually win games now. Yeah. I, I think realistically, like you said at the beginning of the pod, we're pretty much locked into our tier of teams. And that's like the seven to eight to nine spot in the lottery. Um, I think it's pretty unlikely that we. It's, it's I just it's not possible really to get lower than that because the teams below us like mm-hmm. Cleveland is just really bad like Sacramento is the only other team in this area that's like okay they could win a few more games like even if we lose all the rest of our games all these other teams are also losing games and so it's just it's not I don't think it's realistic mm-hmm. to even hope for getting moving up in the lottery past the seven spot yeah if we do get the seven spot that gives us a 32 percent chance of jumping up into the top four which yeah, is and, uh, the seven spot I think. At the Raptors have to be the favorite for that, right? With their schedule and like the Kings, they play their, the the Oklahoma city thunder three times, right? Like, and if they're trying to go for the play in spot, which they're, I mean, they're, they're pretty out of it, but like, I think they're trying to prove to DR and Fox that they're going to be competing. So they're probably still going to be trying to win even at the end of the season when they shouldn't be. But yeah, I I think that they, they should be the favorites for the seven spot. Yeah. Still not great, guys. I'm still a little sad about it all. Yeah, we are in no man's land, and this is this was the concern. I think I think if we look back at the like moves, even from the trade deadline, it, it like there's been a lot of indecisiveness from the Raptors front office here. Not the decision not to trade Lowry, and then he plays two more games and then starts resting, and it's like. Like we were talking about it before the trade deadline that they could easily pivot to tanking. And then it seemed like they didn't decide to go that route. And then they lose a couple of games and do decide to go that route. And then they pivot back by putting in their starters in this week. It's, it's strange front office decisions here that this hasn't been a great year for the Raptors front office. Um, And I still think they are a great front office, but maybe Masai is distracted by contract issues. Maybe he's, on his way out. I don't know. It's just like the, the decisions have been bizarre. I'm yeah, going to push back a, a little bit against that. Like, I still think I'm pretty high on the Raptors front office. I think the record shows they're pretty strong. They made a really good trade at the deadline to get Gary Trent Jr. And move out Norman Powell when he was at an all time high in price. Like that's a positive trade. The Gillespie signing looks good. The Malachi Flynn pick for where they got him looks good getting Ken Birch off the buyout market and having him as a piece moving forward, it seems looks really good right now. I mean, the bad moves. Yeah. This fluctuation of, are we tanking? Are we not? Are we tanking? Are we not? And also the Aaron Baines signing, but everyone thought Aaron Baines was going to be good at the start of the year. Even I was like kind of high on it, you know? So I can't blame them really for just not, 
predicting the floor falling out on him. Like overall, I think it's been a net positive season. They've done better than a lot of GMs in the league. I don't think they should get any credit for like Ken Birch and Freddie Gillespie looking like decent backup centers because those just came way too late in the season when the season was already done and dusted. Like the it's also the easiest position to just like find guys yeah, that can like play. Yeah, they picked okay. guys up off the scrap heap, but like the center position, it was clear ten games into the season that Baines was not good. Yeah, um, the backup center that they signed, Alex Lynn, like they cut him like almost instantly, right? Like, and yeah. Uh, yeah, it was also like strange roster moves where like cutting Alex Lynn, but then not replacing him with anyone. So then you just have an open roster spot. Like, what was the point of that? And like Alex Lynn wasn't the answer, but it's just like when you make that move, it's like, oh, you think that someone is coming in and no one came in. I, like, I don't know. I think this the Raptors front office has not had a good year, but yeah, like you said, they they've built up enough of like they've built up enough credit that it's they're they're not on the hot seat by any means. Of course no, not, and they, they have drafted have have. well. They're a great front office. It's just there's been some I and and some of the stuff with judging these teams is hard because like it's very results based. Where it's like yeah, we everyone thought Aaron Baines was going to be good, and then all of a sudden he's imploded as a player and it's like, okay, he's washed now. And it's like, you can't really fault the front office for that. It's just they, and maybe there just weren't any trades or moves in the season that made sense. And it's like, it's hard to know. The You're saying the all stuff. my points right now, Ben. You're tearing apart your own argument. That's exactly what I was going to say. We don't know what trades are out there and what teams are asking. The Kyle Lowry trade, non-trade, doesn't make a lot of sense considering how the season's gone since. And it seemed like they kind of knew it was going to go this way. Like, that was pretty obvious. Um but I liked some of the other moves around the edges and we don't know. I mean, the center market, no one's really been able to get a good center before the buyout um, in the trade market this year. It, it was tough. I didn't see anyone teams picking up anything. So I, I don't know. I'm still pretty high on the front office. I think they've done a decent job this year of setting us up well for next year, especially we'll see what happens this off season. There's a lot of space on the books and uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I'm not uh, out on the GMs at all. Yeah, but I, I agree with Ben's point that this year, like the decisions did not work out. Like yeah. I'll say that. Like it doesn't mean that the process behind them was bad. Yeah. It's just that the results didn't work. Like we I have also to think that, that they're thinking about more than this season. We got to remember that the Raptors mm-hmm. are playing in Tampa Bay this season, and it's very possible that I mean the strategy isn't for this season. It's for two seasons from now, and I think that's how good GMs think. They think when is our next peak, and they work towards that. Right, but it, but if you think that, then surely you would have been tanking at the deadline, right? Like, if you're like, yeah, we're playing for two seasons from now, you you pivot to full tank mode, um, rather I than would have done this, that, but, rather yeah. than the snowman's land. And so, yeah, I I just like I, I don't know. We've probably talked about it enough, but it, it it's head scratching to me. Mm-hmm. Normally, I under, I feel like I understand what they're doing and I appreciate it. And this season, it's been a little tougher to understand. Something I've been doing to kind of chase away the um, Raptors blues right now, especially with the drinking? frustration of are we tanking or not? No, not as much drinking these days, more watching other teams play. And just thought it'd be an interesting discussion to have about where we stand on the awards race. And I know we're closing in on the end of the season. So there's a few awards up for grabs and it seems like positions are starting to get solidified a little bit. So why don't we just go through each award and, just talk about some of the names that we think might be in the mix and uh, yeah, who we think might actually win it. So I guess we start off with the most important award and that is most improved player. <laughs> the most important award? That was not where I thought you were going with that. No, I'm just trolling Aaron because I know that he hates the most improved player award. Yeah, I think they need to make more uh, defined <laughs> like criteria for the most improved player because so many so many people have sort of rules that they for when they vote like a lot of people won't vote for second year players because it's like oh yeah after your rookie year you should get a lot better and we see that all the time right so they just don't vote for second year players i don't i think it should go to people that you just don't get it if you're on your rookie contract and that would make it more interesting but in which case, Julius Randle is the obvious winner there. But I mean, I've heard good arguments for Zion Williamson being the most improved player. Yeah, you got he went from a solid player, you know, on offense and horrible on defense to being one of the best offensive drivers in the league. And 
you know, still bad on defense, but that, that doesn't matter as much. So he's playing a lot better on defense than he used to. That's for sure. Is, like, there's still is, a massive yeah. improvement in that area. And watching him against the Raptors, it was pretty apparent that he's become a one man wrecking ball, so to speak. He's, he's passing much better, shooting much better, playing defense better. He's obviously improved quite a bit. Um, he, I guess he works well with Thibodeau. Who knew? <laughs> <laughs> one dark horse I have for this one that I think, especially coming down the stretch, could make some noise is Michael Porter Jr. Um, okay. He's obviously had a really good season and improved quite a bit. His numbers are up across the board, but he's also going to have a ton of opportunity in the last stretch of this game. He's definitely the number two option on that team now. And you've seen it in his recent um, outpourings of points. He put up 38 points last night. Um, he's and the night game before that, I think he put up 30, 32. He's going to score a lot of points down the stretch and add in a few blocks and rebounds and things like that. And I think he could make a push for this award as well. Yeah. That guy's one of the most lethal shooters in the league. Like absolutely he's so big that it's so hard to contest his shot. So even if there's a guy in front of him, if the guy's not like actively getting in his face, he'll just pull up and he, he's so money. Absolutely. Next one we have here. Wait, wait, wait. wait. Oh, I, got, I got one player that no one has talked about for most improved player. If you're going to give it to second year players, why can't you give it to rookies? LaMelo Ball went from playing in the Australian League oh, and being mediocre there to killing it in the NBA. That's a huge jump. I don't I know think, why no one's talking about him for most improved player. I think even even people that want to give it to second year players would not give it to rookies. <laughs> so but I don't why know. not? It's uh, you know it's, it's it's completely arbitrary. This guy's been the same limits. all year. What do you? T- I don't understand this. this. Is, improving this is from the... playing in the Australian league to the NBA, he's looked like so much better in the NBA than I mean, he did last year. James this Wiseman is... played three games last year, so I guess he must yeah, be the most improved. He he didn't play. He hasn't played very well in the NBA. Making the NBA is a big improvement for him. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> this is one of the more bizarre takes I've ever heard from you, Ben. <laughs> I'm kind of honest. Yeah. It's honestly not the most, even close to the most bizarre I've heard, but uh, it is a bizarre take, no doubt about it. Yeah. We just have to measure Ben against different scales that we do average yeah, people's takes. Different standards. <laughs> different standards, for sure. So, what about, oh, sorry, Aaron, go ahead. I was just going to get our consensus here. Julius Randle is going to win this award. Yeah, I think so. I think so. I think he's a shooting at this point, but we'll yeah. see what happens with Michael Porter Jr. Recency bias is definitely a thing. Yeah, the Knicks narrative is too strong. Yeah, 10 wins. There's some recency bias there. Yeah, too, right? he's so. been on fire. Like, it's just stupid what he's doing. The, the degree of difficulty in his shots, it's not like he's just taking open threes and making them. Like, he's taking, like, step back, double teamed threes, and they're going in. It's just, it seems completely unrealistic that this will happen in the playoffs. But Another kind of lame award out there is six man of the year. Oh yeah. Um, this Ugh. might be Aaron's least favorite of all the awards. Yeah. And honestly, it doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, you're not good enough to start, but we're still going to give you an award for being a good player. So it just like the best of the not good enough to start players, I guess. It's so but, arbitrary. Yes. <laughs> a lot of times it is. It's, it comes down to players that can't play a lot of defense usually because they can only play those players against bench units or else they get exploited. Right. But, uh, any names come to mind for you guys? I, I pay zero attention to this, so I don't even know who's in this. I heard Jordan Clarkson, but yeah, no he's idea. the consensus odds favorite. Is Jordan Clarkson? Um, he's in the mold of putting up the most points off the bench. But I mean, for me, when I look at six men of the year, I think there's a lot of value you can generate that isn't just points. So guys that I would prefer to have, see, to, I would prefer to see win the award would be guys like Jalen Brunson. Um, who I think has just been really efficient and has really run the offense when Luca's been on the bench and has played well with Luca when they're playing in together. And Joe Ingles is having, you know, obviously a career year, some of the most efficient shooting we've ever seen. Um, and I would like to see him as well, more so than Clarkson, to be honest. Yeah, I I kind of agree with your take, Gavin. I think Jordan Clarkson's a good player, but it, it always goes to these kind of just scores like Lou Williams. Um and it would be nice to recognize some players that play a little more gritty, team-oriented style of basketball. But I also hate this award, like Aaron. So it's probably going to Jordan Clarkson because the NBA feels like they need to give the Utah Jazz something for this year because they're going to flame out in the playoffs, probably. Well, speaking of Utah Jazz players that might be winning awards, uh, we got Defensive Player of the Year here. And the consensus pick is Rudy Gobert again. Um 
Do you guys have anyone that you think should be in consideration for that? Nope. But uh, Clint Capella should get votes for the runner-up spots. Yeah, I feel like there should be the same as the MVP where it's just too boring to like Giannis wasn't even really in contention this year because it's just boring to give it to him again. And he hasn't really deserved it as much as other candidates this year. But like there should be that for defensive player of the year where it's like Gobert has to be really doing something special to win because his defense is just like it's a lock for him as if he's on the court in the regular season, he's he should probably should get defensive player of the year. But We've seen in the playoffs that defense doesn't always is not always as effective. And so I would be open to giving it to a more versatile defender. When's the last time it's gone to a wing defender? That would be funner to see someone else. Kawhi in like 2014, I think is the last time I went to a wing player. Yeah. Like let's give some wing guys more recognition. Let's give it to Fred or OG. (laughs) Yeah, it does make the Raptors feel better. It does seem a bit skewed, like I would have a hard time ever if I'm looking at like the value of a defensive player, giving this to a wing defender or a guard defender, they're just not yeah. generating the same kind of value. Yeah, They just have to be so exceptional to mm. get it in the regular season. And so it's just kind of always going to go to the best defensive center and that's Gobert. I think Embiid probably has a case as well, but it's, it's just like kind of inevitable that it's going to go to Gobert and it's a bit boring. I don't think it'd be as a case since he missed so much time. But. Yeah. Yeah. Time if is... you care about time. Yeah. It's, he doesn't. So it's just going to be Gobert's award. Okay. One of the more exciting races to watch right now is the rookie of the year. It seems like, you know, this could go a couple different directions. And I know this is one that all three of us actually like to follow. So I'm sure we'll have some conversations here. What do you guys think of this rookie of the year race? Who should win this? Who deserves it? I mean, it's got to be LaMelo still, right? I, 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 how, I guess the, I, some of the discussion here is like how much does missed games matter, especially in this season where it's a compressed schedule. So any injury just like takes away a huge fraction of your games. But I feel like on the court performance, LaMelo has been clearly the best rookie. Anthony Edwards has played a lot better recent in the last few months, but he started off the season so poorly and he's still a bit of an empty calorie scorer. So even though he's putting up a lot of points per game, he's he's not really helping his team win. Whereas LaMelo's been on a winning team that's in the playoff race and has been really successful as their lead guy in a lot of cases. Um, and so he, to me, is still the clear favorite despite having missed time. And I think he will come back before the end of the season. So he'll have time to help his case. Yeah, I think he's supposed to come back like next week. I think he could even be coming back today today no way but anyways i'll look at that after like very soon yeah and same yeah i i'm not even gonna have anthony edwards in the top three wow who are your top three okay let's hear this uh i think Lamelo should win because he's gonna come back and i'll be okay and then tyrese halliburton should be number two he's been super consistent and a winning player not that the kings are doing much winning but he he's helping them a lot and uh, sadiq bay should be number three he's also done really good things for the Kings Uh, like Anthony Edwards is is, like you said it's all empty stats he's so bad so many nights he doesn't he doesn't make the players around him any better he doesn't add to their offense at all he's not a great defender like he just puts up some highlights highlight buckets every now and then but he's not really being productive at all whereas these other guys are actually being like productive players so but points Aaron he's scoring points I mean he might he'll get the votes like he'll probably end up in the top three but not not for me. What's your argument for Tyrese Halliburton over Anthony Edwards? Like, what is he doing that's so much better? He's a really efficient shooter. He's a good defender, and he's a great passer. He actually runs pick and roll for them. He helps their offense be a lot more fluid and gives it spacing. And then he's a, he's a really good defender. He shouldn't be defending the three like he is now. But as a guard defender, he's super mobile. He's super active. He has, like, his arms are like go-go gadget arms. He gets into all the passing lanes. He gets He's really disruptive, and he's really smart. So I think even though he's probably more of a role player, he's way, way more impactful in terms of helping your team win. I agree with you, but people hate giving this award to players that end up being role players. You know what I mean? Like there was so much outcry about Malcolm Brogdon when no, we're giving it to a role. Like this guy is like, he's a little bit more than a role player. On yeah. The team he plays and for. Halliburton can get there too. Like, 
Yeah, yeah I think that's a reasonable comp actually for Halliburton. Yeah. Is that he's a Brogdon style player where he doesn't really do anything stupid and his offense might come along enough that he can get to Brogdon's level, but I mean he'll never be as big and strong as Brogdon is. But but he's he's faster, he's taller, he's longer, he's he's like his shot is quicker, like I think, you know. So Brogdon's a pretty there. versatile defender. Just I don't gonna, know. If he yeah. got to Brogdon level, I'd be very impressed with For uh, sure. That, it's, it's optimistic, but like I don't see why he can't. Anthony Edwards, post-All-Star break, 25 games, averaging 23 points a game on 43% shooting from the fields and 35% from three. That's not horrible. Like It's not great, but it's not bad. And for a rookie player, that's actually, I think, pretty good. 23 um, points a game is pretty sexy for voters. They they see that and they're like, whew. It's hard, it's hard not to put his name really on the ballot. Disappointed if he wins. <laughs> I don't really think he's gonna win. I think he's gonna get second. Yeah, I think if LaMelo comes back and looks at all like he did before and leads this team into the playoffs, I mean, it's gonna be a shoe and race at that point. For- I think Halliburton over Anthony Edwards is a great litmus test to see if someone actually pays attention to basketball or if they just follow box scores. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. Well, it's elitist take from Aaron here. Okay. Yeah. Now for our final one here, the most valuable player award. Where do you guys stand on this one? I have an idea. I know where Aaron stands, but, uh, well, well, I picked him before it. the season to win MVP. I picked Jokic. So I know I, I'm obviously with that guy. But uh, to me, the other spots are really interesting because the injuries like LeBron got hurt uh, and Bede got hurt and they were kind of the front runners with Jokic. And then now I think Jokic clearly number one, but it sort of really opened up the rest of the ballot. I don't know where you guys stand there. Yeah, I think LeBron shouldn't even be in consideration anymore, should he? Like there was so much noise in the first half of the season about, oh, this is LeBron's award to lose. But I mean, injuries suck, and I just think you can't even consider him anymore. It's really, to me, people are trying to put other people into the MVP race now, but you're right, Aaron. It's clearly Jokic is the front runner. He's played, I think, every game, and he's just been so good all season carrying the Nuggets. And now with Jamal inj- Jamal Murray's injury, it, like they're still winning games, and yeah, he's just been the best player this season so far, and it's just clearly Jokic. But then Steph Curry is doing amazing yeah. things. Like this is like MVP level. Steph is back, and it's so fun to watch every night. Um, he he definitely should be in the discussion. Like he um, he's probably third after Embiid. I think Embiid is still probably second. But I could, I could put Steph second. I honestly I want to put Steph first, but I just their their team isn't good enough, and Jokic has been too good. That's definitely the most exciting race I think in this ballot is for the second spot because mm-hmm. Jokic I think is pretty far ahead just because he's been healthy the whole season, and that's probably the most important factor in this race. Um, but uh, Curry versus Embiid for that second spot. Maybe Giannis gets the second spot. Yeah, I was just going to say that Giannis is the three-way race there. that I think is yeah. kind of interesting. Um, obviously, the Bucks have one of the best net ratings in the league again, and he hasn't missed much time, if any. But Curry's having these more incandescent performances that are extremely memorable and recent. So we'll see down the stretch. I really do think that second spot is going to come down to. Um, the last 12 games of the season. So that's something exciting to watch. Maybe tune in to watch some uh, Golden State Warriors if you weren't already. Yeah. What what teams are we looking to watch a lot going down the stretch? I know for me, Golden State is there. I mean, when Steph is off, definitely just turn anything else on. But when Steph is on the court, on the court, it's it's phenomenal. He's doing everything for that team. Well, let me tell you, Aaron, this morning I woke up and, you know, I didn't sleep quite right. I didn't sleep enough. That's for sure. And I just I was in a funky mood after that Raptors loss yesterday. I went for a walk and it started to rain. Oh. <laughs> and during my walk in the rain, I realized I only have 12 more Raptors games to watch this season. And I need something more enjoyable in my life. So I've jumped allegiances for the season. I picked a couple teams I'll be cheering for down the stretch and into the playoffs. And I'm excited. I'm excited to watch them, okay? As much as I am excited to watch the Raptors. The first team from the Eastern Conference that I'm cheering for is the Milwaukee Bucks. 
Oh um, wow! I did not see that coming. It's like a I gross think, taste in my mouth. What? I, that's exactly why I'm cheering for them. Um, they're the forgotten team this year, kind of in the similar mode to the how I've pictured the Raptors the past few seasons. Amazing net differential, amazing team, but no one's talking about them, and they are right there. And I think they actually have the pieces to make some of the most interesting, interchangeable lineups. So I'm excited to see how they do that in the playoffs and how they switch their team. They've been doing a lot of experimenting down the stretch here, which is kind of cool to see from the Bucks. So that's my Eastern Conference team in the West. There's a lot of fun teams to cheer for, to be honest, but I'm going to be cheering for Golden State to make it out of the play-in rounds. So I think that's one thing to watch. Just watch the Curry show. And I'm also cheering for the Denver Nuggets. Um, with Jamal Murray down, I want to see Jokic and Michael Porter Jr. and Aaron Gordon and that whole team just rally around that and come back even though jamal's out so i think that'll be exciting to watch as well and they've been doing really good lately so they're a fun team to watch still what about you guys any teams out there yeah ben who are you rooting for i mean i've been rooting for charlotte all season although i haven't watched a single game since Lamelo got hurt as soon as he <laughs> comes back watching every charlotte game once again resuming that practice um he's so fun to watch and the team when he's playing is so fun to watch also i do watch charlotte highlights and every single game miles bridges is doing an insane dunk like this guy is crazy so charlotte is super fun to watch um i think the other team in the east that i also love watching is the brooklyn nets Kyrie is having a spectacular season kind of a dark horse mvp candidate we oh. didn't really talk about him in the MVP oh, oh my gosh this is more Lamelo for most improved player. Brooklyn, kind of bizarre Brooklyn is level in, takes. Like Brooklyn is at the top of the East. Every every one of their stars has missed games. Kevin Durant's barely played. Harden's also should be in the MVP discussion. I think we forgot about him, even though he's how many games, games did Kyrie miss because he just didn't want to play? I mean, I think we are judging Kyrie too harshly. It's okay to take vacations. Work-life balance, bro. It is, but I don't think you get to win awards if you take that many vacations. I, I really care about what happens every on year. the court. It's like you take 10 games off in a season, that's fine. You do what you've got to do. Resting is good. Yeah, but Just he also... Burn some sage, relax. Like, it's, you know, it's... Uh, he's also clearly the third best star on the team. But he has played so well for them, like talent wise, yes. But Durant, like, you can't even but, consider because he's played like twenty like Harden, games. Harden, even though he's probably missed at this point a little, a few more games than Kyrie, has been their their better player. Yes, absolutely. I'm just saying, so, Kyrie has so, been that good this season that you could. So he's, he's a not dark, horse, dark horse, like dark horse, like he's like like sixth, what, like maybe, top fifteen. Like, <laughs> yeah, like you can slide him in there as like your honorable mention on your top five list. No, you, know? you can slide. You can saying. you can put him on the list of people that you looked at their numbers to see if they were deserving. I just want to acknowledge how awesome Kyrie has played this season. Anyway, we don't oh have to talk gosh. about for MVP. For He's those people great. listening out there yeah. that are wondering where this takes coming from, Ben is just trying to twist the knife because I argued with him for like two hours about how overrated Kyrie Irving is. And we'll have that conversation another day, this podcast. For the record, Gavin said he would rather have a second Joe Harris in the Nets closing five over Kyrie. That's that's why and I, I stand by it. About and I stand by it. <laughs> Both of your takes are terrible. Uh, anyways, Kyrie is a lot of fun to watch as a player. And so when he's in the lineup, mm-hmm. when Harden's in the lineup, I really enjoy Harden as well. Um, the Brooklyn's just a fun team. Their offense is spicy. And then out West, it's... Uh, Golden State is really the only team out West that catches my eye. Like Steph Curry is just, you have to watch Steph Curry play. He's, no one else does anything like him. Just like, he's such a unique experience to watch him play. It's so fun. Yeah. It it becomes unbelievable some games, you know, when he's catching fire and he's just coming across half court and just like shooting the ball. And it's almost unbelievable when he hits like four or five of them in a row and you're just thinking, how is this possible? Anyone that's ever shot a half court shot knows this isn't right. It's so fun to watch the defenders react to his threes. Yeah. I've, I've watched a lot of like the, their series against Houston and like when Austin rivers was guarding him, Austin rivers is like the most expressive defense, expressive defender. When someone scores on him, he's just so depressed. He's like head down, just like sulking. And like against the Denver Nuggets, the, the Warriors played them this week and just like Curry hit a couple threes on him. He's just like puts up his hands like, what can I do here? Like what? Like this is impossible. This isn't fair. It's just it's it's a lot of fun to watch Steph. 
That is, I, I love your guys' uh, suggestions for teams. I know for me, when the playoffs start, hopefully the Nets will be healthy and they're, I think, the team to watch in the East. And in the West, obviously, Golden State, like, hopefully they make it through the play ins, but they're probably going to get smacked in the first round. Like, that team's not very good. But the West to me is just chock full of fun teams to watch. Like, you have Denver, you have Utah, you have the Lakers, you have the Mavericks, even uh, even the Blazers to me are a fun team to watch. Like, they score a ton of points and, you know, they're, they're going to be a threat, I think, in the first round. So, yeah, I, I'm really excited for the playoffs this season. I think are there's we... a ton of great matchups. Are we doing the community disservice by not mentioning the Clippers here? No, I mean, they're off. They have like the best <laughs> offense in the league. Like the, they're just the, draining threes from everywhere all the time. The Clippers are, I think, you know, almost as good as the Lakers in terms of like title contenders, but they're not a fun team to watch. They don't really move the ball very much. It's a lot of like ISO and pull-ups and, you know, like they shoot really well and that's why their offense is so great, but I don't, they're not like aesthetically that much fun. Kawhi and Paul George are like the least fun superstars. They like their their offense isn't creative. They kind of brute force things, and they're really effective. I'm not taking away anything from their talent. I just don't enjoy watching their style of basketball. It's not aesthetically pleasing to me. It's not like Kyrie. <laughs> I was pretty aesthetically pleased watching Kawhi Leonard in 2019. That's all I I'm was. Say. But I was uh, <laughs> at different motivations. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Homerism definitely played a role in that. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, that's a good conversation. Nice sort of preview for people to what to look for the last uh, 12 days of the season. There's lots of interesting matchups and it seems like the play in tournament is having the desired effect for a lot of teams that are actually trying to win down the stretch and making the last few you know weeks kind of interesting are you going to get the sixth seed are you going to get the 10th seed are you going to get the seventh seed those are kind of the interesting the eighth seed sorry those are the interesting kind of benchmarks you want to hit and then the tank race is also kind of interesting for us raptors fans to see where we actually end up and how likely we are to get a top four pick um but for this week guys the raptors have a few games what's going on so i think this week it's really going to be interesting to watch what the organization does with our starters are we going to be resting people because we played our starters last two games so it does the organization finally commit to the tank or not we'll find out starting on monday against cleveland it's a 7 30 game and that's our last non-playoff team on the schedule so all 11 games after that are teams that are in the playoffs or at the play-ins at this point um so the schedule is going to get much tougher so on tuesday the second night of back-to-back we're against brooklyn and then on Thursday, we play Denver. And then on Saturday, we're playing against the Utah Jazz. So pretty tough slate of games this week. Aaron, what do you think is going to happen? Well, Cleveland to me is one of the few teams that's left that the Raptors cannot lose to. It would be great if they did. And I'm, I'm very curious to see, because to me, the Raptors already tipped their hand that they're tanking. Like you don't tank and then stop tanking. All they did was play their starters. so They could not play them later, in my opinion. So playing your me, starters 40 minutes a game doesn't feel like tanking. But anyways, carry on. Yeah. So to me, I'm curious to see if they play everyone tonight against the Cavs. Maybe they do because they think it doesn't really matter what we do against this team we cannot lose to them <laughs> so maybe they say like yeah it, we could let's play all the starters and then we can rest them against the nets and then the road trip it doesn't even really matter if you play your starters you're playing denver utah then they play the clippers twice and the lakers i think so like though like even if the raptors were trying that would be a brutal stretch so you know i think that this is a one and three week and you know, I don't think the, the Cavs are probably going to be an easy win. And then after that, those are all very losable. Um, the Nets is, is winnable. Like the, they did just beat the Nets, but I think Kevin Durant will be back by then. So, you know, hopefully the Nets will have it to have it uh, together for that one. What do you think, Gavin? Well, I have some good news, Aaron. The Raptors actually already have lost to the Cleveland Cavaliers this season. So we know it is possible. And that's why I'm going to predict the 0-4 record. Oh, I love you, Gavin. This is a bit optimistic, no doubt about it. But I think the Raptors have what it takes. And if they really dig deep and look at themselves and play their hardest, they can lose all four games. Um, we'll see what happens. Let's just hope that Fred Van Vliet says something to Colin Sexton and makes him angry. That would be the best timeline. So You know, the Raptors haven't played their trump card yet. They uh, They've... 
since they got Ken Birch, Aaron Baines has not played a single minute, and he is sort of the the tank commander that hasn't been used. So, if they unleash, it's a little late to unleash Baines, if you ask me. And that could have happened during OKC's game and helped us lose that one. But um, if we're going to unleash Baines, this seems like the best opportunity we have left on the schedule. So unleash him. I think Point Stanley is the answer for all these questions. We haven't seen a lot of Stanley Johnson recently. Let's get some more Point Stanley minutes. Um, uh, you guys went one and three and zero and four, and that means that that's not what our record is going to be. So I feel like I have to go two and two here, um, just because knowing your history of predictions, yeah, I think I'm not convinced that the team has actually decided to tank, and we might see our starters in a couple of these games. Brooklyn is definitely going to be without Harden. Yeah, we'll see if Kevin Durant's back. Even if he is back, he's I don't know if he's going to be playing a lot of minutes. So that's definitely still winnable. And then Denver also is somewhat inconsistent right now. Um, They're struggling a little bit without Jamal Murray in the last few games. So potentially winnable, potentially winnable. So I'm going to go 2-2. We'll take one of those games in the middle. Utah Jazz, are they not winnable? Like they, Donovan Mitchell's hurt. Mm, Yeah, they're, they're technically winnable as well, but I'm less optimistic. They're, they're, They're just a bit better. More Why don't you pick Foro, Ben? I know you want to. Oh, I do want to. Foro's music. Maybe I could talk myself into 3 1 here, to be honest. I just, I think we, I just don't know if we're going to be tanking. So I'm playing, I'm balancing the odds here. If we're trying and starters every game, I'm going 3 1. But I think realistically, I'm hedging my bets and going 2 2 because we might rest on like the second night of a back to back on Tuesday or something. So I'm going to go 2 2. That's my final answer, locking it in. We're still stuck in no man's land, the worst of all scenarios, and that is what it is. What we have to do is go back through the archives and add together all the correct predictions from this season once it's over and see who predicted the most correct records. I have a feeling the scores would be like two to three. <laughs> I, I have one, so <laughs> I think I have two, maybe three. <laughs> yeah, I think I'm around that two, three range as well. But you know what? Yeah. I'll probably be at that four, three range after this week. But it's really a what have you done for me lately? And I've been right last week. So I'm taking that confidence into this week. Okay. All right. Well, on that note, let's wrap this podcast up. If you're still listening, send us your questions, comments, concerns to raptorsreviewmail at gmail.com. That's raptorsreviewmail at gmail.com. Make sure you tune in next week because we'll probably be here talking about if the Raptors should be tanking or not again. And we'll hopefully bring you some other more diverse content. But until then, See you guys later. Bye for now.